and welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Ah! We're back to Howl. Hey, a little Howl does body good. I well, hey, let it out. Hey, and speaking of that, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. Where we are the Dice of Screaming Podcast. I'm back. Yeah. Wildly overworked. I, I feel like being absolutely candid and oh. you know, like upfront. I know there have right been on. some questions about, you know, like, are you okay? Uh, no, working a lot of night shifts is exhausting. Uh, and it is extremely difficult to sync up our schedules during times when I'm pulling a lot of night shifts. Uh, this pre holiday buildup is just piling on the hours. Mm. So, has not been an easy period for me, but I am okay. So, no I, worries. I question the okay part because <laughs> I don't really think you're really okay. Oh, I, I didn't use the word well. <laughs> uh, but you can expect no less oh. from the little gaming podcast that's still looking up in the tree, hoping to find its burrow owl. Wow. That's right. why they call it a burrow owl. <laughs> it lives in a... Not a bogo stick. You think a podcast like that would know what... Well... I almost mm, went there. Mm, okay, I almost so... went there. <laughs> Bunch it. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, got a good little podcast here. Uh, not uh, going to do a uh, episode of... Uh, last week, I was able to add... RPG Cafe Corner. Yeah, um, it's going through some renovations. It's it's having some difficulties. And, uh, <laughs> we think it has a stalker. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I mean, it, there's somebody been leaving weird messages on and writings on the napkins that always uh, feels like it's being followed. Yeah, I don't know. But we'll uh, we'll keep our eye on it. Well, you did the English breakfast. The uh, British breakfast. Yeah, the, the British breakfast, which uh, <laughs> the the. Uh, Appalling baked beans, uh, the you know grainy cereal-filled sausage, <laughs> and the limp, barely fried tomato. Uh, so I'm we'll kidding, leave it. We'll, we'll leave it I, to I, the I, audience to decide which uh, which analogy of those, which is traveler, which is RuneQuest, and which is Call of Cthulhu. But yeah, no, no. It, it, I was sorry I wasn't here for that one because those are three games that I genuinely love. It's just that I've had an actual British breakfast in a British hotel. And yeah. uh, unless it is cooked for you by like uh, an old British lady who just nails it, uh, British breakfasts are horrific. So <laughs> I would immediately like, yeah, I'm just going to pass, have a lot of strong tea and I'm going to go find a pub uh, and have bangers and mash and like fish and chips all day. Now that's that's a British food. Well, in this Man. case, it, it applied to RuneQuest, Call uh, of Cthulhu, and Traveler, which I thought was uniquely the fact that they gravitated towards that Lynn White Dwarf and Imagine magazine specifically and went to them over and over again. But of course, the yeah. grainy sausage, you know. Oh, it might be RuneQuest. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, RuneQuest, Traveler, uh, those are terrific, terrific products. And it was nice that there was a magazine that like took the time out to give the space to them that they deserved. Which let's Well, it really, it, really, the point was it Dragon was hard. a TSR vehicle. And as such, even though it had this massive distributorship, it tended to be a little circumspect in, in terms of sharing space. Uh, and even in Dungeon, you know, it, it was just less common. 
the other magazines out there, the other participants in the uh, gaming arena, they picked up the mantle and made room for all these other wonderful games. So, yeah, big kudo. Wish they'd go back to that. I wish, yeah, it would be yeah. nice to see White Dwarf go back to that one. They went, but we're too far gone. That, that, yeah. That ship has long since sailed and she'll never return, my friend. <laughs> yeah, we will not see its like upon these shores. Well, yeah. They have, uh, gone. They have sailed into the west. <laughs> I was able to fit all three of our um, commentary styles in there. I did a review, I did a meta, and uh, even did a campaign. Ah. Uh, so I was kind of proud of it. Even though <clears throat> they're going to be suffering from some kind of malady during that whole thing. A little coughing fit. It only hit during that time. Weird. All right. But, uh, hey, thanks you for... Thanks all to you folks that are come to tune in. We have no call-ins. That's a, that's a call to action. You know who you are. Let us know how we're doing, what you think, and I uh, hope you're all doing well out there. So... Well, yeah, especially with the holiday coming up. I yeah. hope everybody's lined up for a you know, joyous turkey day. Uh, we celebrate the defeat of Turklore. Mm-hmm. Uh. Once again, his evil put to rest. The shadow will darken the land no more. And uh, we will celebrate that great victory by devouring his lesser kin. Mm. Uh. <laughs> for all the crimes yeah. they have committed. So... Um, yeah, let us know, uh, folks, but uh, we appreciate uh, you guys tuning in. It's been really good and heartening to have the lead, uh, listenership. I wanted to say readership, but nobody reads anything anymore. Um, we uh, appreciate everybody putting in their two cents, whether it's just a small comment here or there, or just be hang. I was liking. deeply touched by people asking after my well-being, uh, which is why I, you know, just go ahead and, like, open the kimono. And throw it all out there and say, yes, I'm working a whole crap load. Uh, it is exhausting, yet profitable. Not sorry about that part. The thing but, about having a show, though, before we tear into this, um, I, it brings me to say is that it's I keep it to half hour uh, episodes because it's really boring just listening to me ramble on. And, uh, you know, I, I really like to speak for Mike outside of what he feels comfortable sharing. Having a co-host show when the other co-host isn't here is not, or co-hosting a show with your main host gone, it's really tough, man. Uh, I appreciate everybody's uh, efforts on that. And also, you know, it's always good to have Mike back. So, oh, Yeah, your patience is much appreciated. So uh, thanks for keeping that The uh, season of excessive labor will soon be over, and life will return to its sweet, sweet norm, and we will resume our regular podcasting Our ra- regular rambling <laughs> discussions <laughs> all right so which speaking of our regular <laughs> rambling discussions uh the macchiomancer oh, yes. uh, gazes upon a sword or knife and divines in the near future q1 queen of the demon web pits the end of the mega module combo the, the, <laughs> oh the greatest series for this of one. all time uh, and it is like just the most slam bang wildest ending. Uh, I mean, short of Doom of Horrors, okay, which is to kill everybody off after the campaign is over back in the old days. Uh, Q1, Queen of the Demon Web Pits. Uh, we're going to, you know, do the complete pick apart and examination of that as the great closer. 
for the you know ultimate series of modules that was so popular to play long before the concept of the you know from first to 20th campaign setting uh, long before that took off and became the norm as it is today uh, this was the proto series that caused that phenom that made people think of you know, like hey what if we prepare a different whole campaign length scenario through a series of modules you know q1 was the ending of that first run series that so many dms strung them together and ran them in order that how could the culture of gaming not have been changed by that so we're gonna pick it apart and we're gonna love it so and it's certainly a favorite topic of mine i love q1 I consider it one of the more unique oh yeah high level definitely. modules uh, it's definitely a challenge to run and it definitely oh. puts the it was the first real module to put the planes the other planes of existence they've been hinted at and teased at and you'd had a little glimpses here of them yeah but this was the one where you were actually going to another demi plane of existence <laughs> with the associated penalties and difficulties and risks uh that come with that you know it's just a wonderful different wonderful. spells work in different ways here okay well we had talked about uh this episode so let's tear right into it we're going to talk about steve jackson games and not only the person but also the presence and impact that a lot of his designs had and it's one of the few people that uh, gets assigned a his own game company, uh, his own name assigned to a game company and a whole kind of style of play unique to that. I mean, in basically the the ego on that man. <laughs> no. The, <laughs> oh. <laughs> he had, we'll have a little story about that, but yeah, people uh, associate Steve Jackson Games uh, SJG with the creator of a lot of those early micro games. And so we have to turn the Wayback Machine all the way back to the early 80s when Gee, they were... Mr. Peabody. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> come along, Sherman. Um, so, yeah, back in um, the early days, there was a little game company called Metagaming. And no, it's not Metagaming as a concept. It was actually called Metagaming Incorporated. And it was founded by Howard Thompson, and he came out with a game called Stellar Conquest and uh, competed against Avalon Hill for a little bit with it. But, uh, you know, as role-playing games came out, uh, they can continue to publish what were called micro games. Came in little Ziploc baggies. No, 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 not that close. Those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> they were not sold out of the back of a, a van with different colored doors in an alleyway <laughs> by a dude in a trench coat going, psst, psst, hey. Some right here. I got game. You want game? Ten bucks. I got game. Uh, no, uh, micro games. They were fast, easy. You know, low on excessive rules. Uh, very, you know, uh, not a steep curb to quickly figure out what the mechanics of it were and launch right into play. Uh, and beer and really pretzels type easy. of game. Yeah, real easy on the pocketbook. Thus the term the beer and pretzels game. That you could sit there, the group of friends, randomly pull this out and be ready to play it in minutes with minimal explanation. And, you know, they actually did quite handsomely with these. 
Oh, yeah, yeah this was one of the early games. GEV, ground effect vehicle, which was a supplement for Ogre, but, you know, focused more on the little vehicles that the Ogres were uh, crushing underneath their treads. <laughs> um, you know, and this was uh, Steve Jackson's idea. Primarily, uh, he was a designer, you know, thought about a quick and easy to sell concept that didn't require a lot of production and could be packaged and delivered and distributed real fast outside of their very small endeavor. And it got them a lot of notice and notoriety. Ogre uh, soon, of course, would change. But during this time, they wanted to get uh, into metagaming, wanted to get into the role-playing game market. And uh, a lot of people were uh, dissatisfied with D&D's uh, combat system. So a uh, melee came out as kind of an alternative. You could use this, slap it on, uh, use pieces or parts of it, or just use a whole cloth with your normal D&D game. It wasn't that hard to transplant into a D&D game, but uh, it ended up becoming Melee, and then they came up with a magic system called Wizard, and this was defined a kind of a Trinity game that would be called the Fantasy Trip. <laughs> and uh, trippy as it was, yeah, you can definitely tell the subculture that Steve Jackson was a part of at that time. Well, I mean, it's the 1970s, you know. Yeah, if you weren't doing it, you doing drugs, you weren't alive. Okay, well, I was alive, but I'm just saying that, like, you know, that you might have laid that passing around of the occasional joint, I'm sure. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the creative culture at the time uh, spawned a really large number of original concept games. Uh, and Steve Jackson games, uh, he had a certain freedom that I think, in many ways, uh, TSR was almost straight-jacketed by its success, uh, very mm -hmm. suddenly. Like, and they knew exactly what the Golden Goose was. And once you know that, like, it kind of determines the course that you will take. Now, TSR struggled valiantly to create a wide variety of things in its early days, but you'll notice like in our previous discussion on TSR's rapid expansion and the wide variety of products that they started with, that that began to contract as they got a bit older and more secure. Uh, most of it was really focused heavily on familiar RPGs, D&D system. Uh, well, Jackson that was also, games, I would, if I could just stop or put a uh, tack on that one. I would say that was also new. Fact that TSR was going through some financial difficulties yeah. in the mid '80s, and they had to. Hey, we have to go with what works here, and we've talked about uh, all those sort of things before with Lorraine. And, um, oh yeah, don't bet the farm on a publishing empire um, because, like, New York Times bestseller does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> uh, you know, indus industry inside is like the the pre-sales to put stuff on bookstore shelves is not a statement about how many you actually sold to readers. Okay. Well, yeah, but pulling that pin now, I have to stop it yeah. on that. Now, back to Mr. Jackson, who I think, to his great credit, uh, he maintained a sense of originality and playfulness and variety uh, throughout the entirety of Steve Jackson Games' existence. I mean, like, he, he never stopped having it. Well, I know this is not our usual thing, but like, hey, we're the people who don't do the usual thing. Let's do it. Uh, like the card game Illuminati, which... Yep, we'll, we'll get into. Yeah. But, you know, in the early days after uh, getting the fantasy trip uh, set down in a trilogy of three books and, and out, um, he departed from metagaming. And under a kind of cloud, uh, 
he was able to take, I think, was it Ogre? Yeah, I think he took an Ogre with him when he left. And uh, then uh, the Space Gamer magazine also that they had started uh, there. But uh, he had left, and uh, there was a bitter taste. Uh, Thompson would later publish a game called uh, Fistful of Turkeys, uh, which simulated a struggle between some turkeys and a deranged turkey hunter named Billy Jackson, Jackal. So it was a jab right at Steve Jackson because he felt betrayed. But uh, yeah, Jackson took Ogre with him and a one-page game called Bulge, which was a mini-war game of the Battle of the Bulge, uh, simulating a strategic moment during, or critical moment during the Battle for the Ardennes. Which again was another little micro-game. But uh, speaking of micro-games, my all-time favorite uh, my most recent all-time favorite. Oh, trapped in a cabin with Lord Byron. Yeah, <laughs> look it up online. Yeah, it's it's one page. It is freaking fabulous and funny. So Lord Byron brings his bear. Oh, of course he does. It has not been trained. <laughs> you will get nothing. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, but you know uh, the fantasy trip. Um. You know, it would take him a while to get that back. But uh, he left under that, and uh, he had the Space Gamer. He had Ogre, GEB. What would he do next? What would Steve Jackson do next? Well, Welcome he'd come out with a game called Killer. Uh, yes. This, uh, to understand, before Killer came out, uh, there was a kind of subculture game called Assassin. Yeah. Uh, and it had very few rules, uh, except those set up by the click of people who began the game. And then you began the process of eliminating your targets and seeing who survives to the end. Uh, and this was played live action uh, with bogus contact poison. Like if you smear some petroleum jelly on like the uh, the gym locker where they, they keep their sneakers after practice and you wait in the background and they go bloop, you're dead. Got him. Contact, contact poison. poison, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or ding him in a rubber with a rubber band in the back of the head in the middle of the hallway, you know, like by surprise. So you wound up with this hilarity through the seventies of like college students, especially engineering, in school. engineering students and high school nerds, you know, <laughs> just randomly looking like they're running for their lives. Uh, which I mean, for once, they weren't actually running for their lives, about to be pummeled by a crowd of jocks, but. They were running from their own friends who were plotting to, <clears throat> you know, assassinate them. Steve Jackson is the guy who took this communal concept and built a game. Yeah, he codified it, defined yeah. what, what, how it was to be played. What welcome to killer. You can't, and he couldn't talk about it with other people. That was the whole thing, because they were the the feds or the police and so if you got taken in by the principal like you, you couldn't confess you know that you yeah never talk the first rule of the <laughs> killer club is we do not talk about killer club <laughs> you know they treat it like a spy organization you don't talk under confession no matter what they do to you alright but yep. so you're gonna need a car battery before I talk this was sold at Gen Con uh Allegedly, the Bloom Brothers got a look at it and said that you couldn't sell this here. And he's like, okay. So they put it underneath the, the booth banner and uh, hid it from sight. But 
yeah, it was still selling, and then they tried to get him out, and he said, well, I, I'll kick him out of the convention for breaking the rules, and he's like, okay, I want to see a, uh, I want my money, I want my deposit back, and I want to see where in the, the uh, your official list this is a policy yeah, which, that I broke. I want to know what law I broke, so that's, that's it. We want rule. to, you know, stomp on our competitors, which it's the Bloom Brothers, they, they were sludge yeah and so um they ended up doing nothing and of course it created the the bad boy image that steve jackson would later (laughs) employ to his own benefit you know coming out of a place like where a guy makes a a a game where you know he satirizes you in a a little micro game you know fistful of turkeys and then off of this you know he he had to feel kind of like you know um as long as they're talking about me (laughs) Let's yeah. do it. Uh, like, you know, bad press is better than no press. So what would happen then? Uh, well, the next micro game would come out. And, of course, he delivered big. One that nobody really knew of. And also, uh, according to rumors, had something to do with a Saturday Night Live skit. Car Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this this is one of the It's like games. Star Wars, but they're in cars. <laughs> Not quite. Okay, I know. But that but. was an all skin. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the ones that really put him on the map. Okay, uh, some of his other products up to that point. Uh, yeah, even working had, for other people. They had niche appeal. Uh, Car Wars inexplicably touched a nerve. I mean, I don't know if it was just like the whole Death Race 2000 vibe that it had, uh, but gamers who didn't normally play this, this was like a favorite for the. Okay, uh, we got a guy out, and we're in mid-campaign, and so we're, we're not going to run the regular module tonight. We're not going to pick up where we left off. But for a filler, we're doing Car Wars tonight. Right, and I, it was perfect for that. You created your uh, your driver. They had a budget. Um, you could work for a, uh, uh, like a garage that, where there was multiple drivers all working under a sponsorship, or you could be an independent. And each one had different, if you're working for sponsorships, yep, but you had to do what they said. Yeah. You got a little bit more money, but as independent, you could could break the rules. (laughs) You set your own rules. (laughs) Where I'm going, there are no rules. So, you know, maybe like one sponsorship just wanted you to use auto cannons and machine guns, you know, just bullets and no missiles. But they've got to be our brand. That's right. I got to deal with the ammo supplier. Oh, great. <laughs> we got a contract. Like a flashing neon sign that says how awesome they are while I'm just tearing apart some other vehicle. So you design your vehicle or take one of the stock ones and you're off to the races, literally. And the object is, well, to cross the finish line and make <laughs> everybody <all>. else <laughs> not cross the finish line. And yes, you could just legitimately just race. You could. Oh, sure. I mean... You know, if you really aimed for speed and tried to keep everybody behind you so that you didn't get blasted into smithereens, that's a valid tactic, too. Right, and so it was this very easy to understand and quick to play games that had a lot of depth to it. And, you know, they be and immediately gamers clamored for more. And so more was given. More supplements, and more supplements, and more supplements. It yeah. had its own ad- magazine, Auto Do Quarterly. Hey, and I'm not capping on it. I mean, look. It was a, it, it took off and it really hit. And people liked the ability to customize your own vehicle, to have kind of your an extended campaign where your driver improved from race to race, 
gradually got better or worse, uh, depending on the injuries. Well, you know, I'm not really going to cap on it either because uh, unlike, uh, you know, the, un- the misfortune over at TSR, uh, while Steve Jackson Games did riff on the same note based on the popularity of a particular product, they didn't fall prey to, hey, let's shut down all other operations and just pour the entirety of our capital into this one thing. They didn't do that. You know, like they still provided a wide variety of other options. Yeah, they were they were working on other things. And <clears throat> oh, what things they worked well, upon. Well, yeah, but you know, when you looked at like uh, Uncle Albert's uh, catalogs that came out periodically, you know, Auto Duo Quarterly, the uh, crossover between Champions and Car Wars. Oh, yeah. And people working together uh, to make other rules, little clubs and fanzines that came around it. You know, it's an intriguing thing. And I don't think until Battletech came out, there was anything like it. Fair point. Uh, Battletech was a slightly different concept in, in the sense that uh, you know, that was lifting from, uh, you know, Japanese mecha yeah. fighting machine Giant culture. that kick butt. Yeah, which, I mean, like, you're not going to hear me complain about the concept. It's like, cool. Uh, I came along a little later than some, so, you know, I didn't have, like, uh, my first contact with any kind of anime product uh, was Star Blazers. Right. But but other people, for them, it was, like, the the mecha thing. Well, you know, Car Wars, uh, it was exactly what it was. Yeah, and it was wonderful, wasn't it? it it's so simple. Like your your goals were very clear, uh, and despite get across the finish line. I mean, you just can't yeah. get any more basic than that. Exactly. Survive, however you do it. Uh, oh, what's legal? Just about everything, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> oh, and what's not? What you know? The rules that you you want to ban uh, landmines for this one? <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, this racetrack has landmines anyway. What? I thought you said we banned them. You did. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> yeah, the, the ratings, the, you know, the audience is really going to... Well, who will discover the randomly moving landmines? <laughs> In this episode of The Running Man. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was all televised. <laughs> it's show business, babe. But, what do you uh, expect? But yeah, people really love to play it, and Steve Jackson pumped out a lot of product. People later would say that, well, people, some other gamers would criticize it by saying, well, you produced too much product, you flooded the market, and made it impossible for people to jump on. But that's where Steve Jackson, once again, showed some verve by recompiling and reissuing a new edition of Car Wars. That's the one I got. was well, not the little Ziploc bags, but I got the box set of Car Wars, the Car Wars Deluxe. Ah, yeah, compiling a great deal of the material in a single published That was easy package. to digest and look at and it's like... As opposed to having to go collector level. I have slowly and painstakingly acquired all 17 separate releases. You know, doing people a solid and like, okay, yeah, uh, here's you know, one to bind them all. <laughs> yeah. Now, this was not the limit of their creativity at the time. Like, while this was going on at the same time with supplement releases and supplement releases for this one thing, a lot of other stuff was happening too. Not the least of which, you know where I'm going with this. Hmm. GURPS. 
Well, yeah, but during this time, they also published none of their weirder things, which was the Principia Discordia, which was a religious text. And this, <laughs> for people who know, it's part of the Discordian of religion, which, uh, you know, goes all the way back to uh, the Discordiate um, Greek gods, the, the Triumviate of them, Typhon, Oh, Jimmy Pete. I... Eris. Yeah, there, and, that's the uh, one I was looking for. Yeah, Eris has its head, but also Typhon and uh, uh, Teaching, the uh, goddess of luck. But uh, people kind of miss that part, and then when they finally found the part of it, it was like, oh, this is really weird. Well, you know, again, welcome to the 70s, and this was in its 80s, so... But, all right, we're coming on to mid-break, so we're going to take a break there, give you guys a chance to uh, get your legs back underneath you and take a little walk, and we'll be right back, so stick around. Oh, you want to say something, Mike? No, I was just going to say anticipate that uh, we're not going to give a big examination of GURPS. We're going to reference it very briefly, but the greater examination of that topic will involve another podcast. Right on. All right. All right. So we'll catch you in a few. We're coming back at you with our look at Steve Jackson games, and we were just talking about GURPS. And you know, like Mike said, we didn't want to get into specific details, but you got to cover it because when GURPS came out, uh, it was a big thing. So, you know, I remember that uh, Ad and Dragon magazine where what the heck is GURPS? (laughs) Yeah, well, despite the ridiculous name, it's actually an acronym generic universal role playing system, and the core concept was to build a uh, engine for play, a, a rule set uh, that would then be able to be implemented in any setting, any campaign concept, any timeline, any scenario. Uh, and all you would have to do is, you know, rather than complete new campaign booklet every single time you come up with a concept like this is our space game it in no way resembles any of the rules from our fantasy game no gurps just said no 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 what what if what if you only had to get one rule set and then you just got the little splat book for the alternate or the little modules that you could just plug and play yeah Yeah, plug and play uh for almost everything you can imagine you know, I, like they've got gangbusters, which plays different. Right, well, you know, that's which what... plays different than this, which plays different than the superhero game, which plays different than the fantasy game. Here was a rule system that said, "Ah, screw that," and that was its that that was its golden ticket. That was our meta, really, going into this was when we were talking about the meta of TSR. You know, they had different games, but different systems for each one. Star Frontiers was different than Gamma World, although they were both science fiction related. Top Secret was different than Ghost or Gangbusters, excuse me. Yeah. And um, even though they're covering different timelines, same sort of thing. And Boot Hill was completely off on its own from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just natural that somebody would look towards this. Chaosium tried to come up with that with the basic role playing game and Hero System, which would later uh, do much the same thing with like Fantasy Hero, Western Hero, Martial Arts Hero, da, 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 Space Hero. 
But GURPS was first on the scene. It's also been probably, I would say, the most successful of all. Yeah, of the exceptions, of the the alternatives that are out there to D&D. GURPS... Oh, wait, I, I, I just forgot one. Um, Chaosium did predate GURPS in the 80s, and yeah. Hero did have fantasy hero. The Hero system did have fantasy hero uh, in 82. I just, Sorry. Sorry. you know, just my personal thoughts, uh, the GURPS system had a greater appeal, not to mention a lot of distribution support by the time it emerged. Uh, so, you know, Mr. Jackson once again found himself with, you know, kind of a hit well, Yeah, but uh, GURPS ran off just basically four stats, rolling three yeah. dice, six for it, and any uh, little uh, weird things you wanted to do, like psionics or magic. That was completely up to the game master and players what they wanted to introduce. So it was modular, it was plug and play. You put in what you wanted. So you could also have the ability to mix and match. You want to go through Google Cyberpunk? Well, hey. Oh, buddy. Here you, you go. And, and that's the genre mashing we mentioned many episodes ago. But this was a real big leap for them. Like, well, the hero system already was working off the champion system. Our fantasy hero was working on the champion system, and they were alluding that, yeah, we're going to do fan, uh, space hero and these other cover these other genres. GURPS didn't come out with a whole lot. Yeah, they came out with fantasy and I think uh, space. And maybe one or other, but they didn't have a whole lot to offer at first. Yeah. They, but you know. here's that Steve Jackson. But wait, there's more. Swap chop. <laughs> Yeah, they would literally just start chugging out supplements, uh, incorporating Cthulhu, Cyberpunk. Um, well, <clears throat> yeah, well, we've already covered the Cyberpunk no. uh, episode. I want to create the impression that it all flooded out at once. It, no, it's it, more like like on a consistent schedule. You were getting variety. Like, oh, here's a Car Wars supplement. Oh, over here's a GURPS supplement. Okay, over here is a Illuminati. And here's a uh, Car Wars for GURPS. Yeah. You know, they would stagger the publication of things in such a way that they were constantly putting out a continual stream of relatively sales-worthy products that uh, continued to keep their operation doors open. Well, yeah, they were. And, of course, they eventually ran into a little trouble with the, I believe it was the the would-be game hacker. Well, well, it was cyberpunk, but... Yeah, that that was a that was a whole thing. Drew the attention of the cats over at Operation Sun Devil. Oh boy! These pebble faced geeks are stealing our national secrets. It's like war games all over again. Uh, and, and so the the guy writing a game winds up sucked into that uh, and has to explain the meta narrative of like you you do realize that this is a non real thing. You don't actually sit at a like what? You, you sit here with pieces of paper and little dice and play make believe. My God! Man. My God! It's worse than we, we thought. thought. Yeah, that's just trying to get that through a bunch of bullet heads. You, you like <laughs> straight like some black dice. Where, yeah, bunch of guys who you like an entire collection of frat boy football players who've got a criminal justice degree and trying to get this through their skills <sighs> was not easiest. But, you know what? <laughs> I think there's something we missed here. And uh, maybe this is too late. You know, we talk about Steve Jackson games. He is not the same Steve Jackson of Games Workshop. No. Uh, with um, 
uh, what's his partner, Ian uh, Livingston. Yeah, Sir Ian Livingston to you. <laughs> Dr. Livingston, I presume. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, this isn't the same Steve Jackson, by the way. So we probably should have opened up on that. That there are two Steve Jacksons. Yeah, there is a British Steve Jackson. This is the American Steve Jackson. The American Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games is an entirely separate entity. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, there was a lot of things like Hero System used a point by system. So, you know, I'm not saying they stole it. They were probably, you know, a point by system was at the time when Hero Games came out with Champions. Yeah, it was a unique thing, but others picked up on it and it was definitely not copyrighted or marketed that way. And, um, you know, as Mike said, they had a better distribution system. I'm, I'm going to offer just a little counterpoint. I think one of the, the appeals of it was it was so universal and generic that initially it kind of flopped because they didn't have a whole lot to go with it. And then Fair. as they began to put more supplements and these uh, campaign settings into it, it, the versatility of combining a cyberpunk type game with Cthulhu, well, you could just interchange these things together. Yeah, it... Its its appeal increased as the variety of possibilities increased. So yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. It did but not like, enjoy robust, instantaneous success, but it had kind of a building, you know, right? Like, like a fire that they like chugged out regular supplement at a regular time. And yeah, then you're starting to throw in some little branches, and then you're finally hucking giant logs on there, and it's a roaring bonfire of sales. Uh, but yeah, it took a while to build. Yeah, and you know. Uh, Right off the bat, the, the thing they had going for them was the fantasy trip. They got it. Uh, Steve Jackson got it back wholesale, and uh, basically that was the basis for GURPS Fantasy, and also the GURPS Combat System in, as well. So, but you know, just as things were starting to really look up for them, <laughs> yeah, as Mike said, the, the, that whole thing, Operation Sun Devil, you know, and it was basic, like, oh. The, they're going to teach people how to hack. The, the 911 emergency system is uh, being downloaded as, uh, <laughs> was downloaded at the time on uh, one of the writers uh, on a form he was involved with. Of course, he was not involved with the hacking or any of that. But, uh, but that's what caused Sun Devil to really get. The problem was that there weren't that many different forums to discuss this stuff on. And so inevitably, if you were anywhere peripheral to a serious conversation, uh, then you were by default automatically peripheral with to Robert some Stack, you know, to some criminal activity. Uh, all of in. Cavity searches all around. Don't stop till you reach the back of their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, beavis and butthead. Uh, Robert Stack was great in that. But yeah. But. You yeah. know, uh, after that did recur and they got it back, uh, you know, it wasn't quite what it was. And, you know, but hey, they were able to put out a lot of stuff. And basically, one of the things that GURPS did, and it doesn't get enough credit for, I think, and I'm pretty sure it might as well, is they didn't get enough uh, uh, credit for basically being able to do one short or one off or quirky campaigns with the GURPS system without having to relearn or resketch out a whole bunch of rules. You can just basically use a known genre like, um, oh, uh, what was the one? Girl Genius? Oh, and make Portfolio. That, yeah, and it makes that a whole setting that you could explore. Yeah, uh, any literary setting of your choice, you could very quickly adapt. Uh, and that had an enormous appeal to people because there was quite a rush to convert anything into gaming. Uh, 
was very popular at the time that like this is my favorite book I totally want to do a game of this uh, and as you can see like having you know, years later we, we look out and there are like boutique versions of any literary product uh, not just Tolkien but you know, like Wheel of Time you know what have you doesn't, doesn't matter like, got a favorite book series somebody's probably approached and considered a game for that certainly happened with uh, Midkemia and Raven Feist, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is terrific material. But, you know, heart of a true gamer, Mr. Feist. Oh, yeah. We love him. But, you know, there is one another thing that I uh, really like about GURPS is it does live up to the fact that it uses just six-sided dice and uses a point-by system for character creation, making it literally a generic game. Yeah. And... Now, that was not the end of his robust successes. No, Moving he would on, then turn on that we weird counterculture's... Uh, we got to touch the 800-pound gorilla in the, in the room. The Illuminati. Yeah, and that... Oh, man. Presciently hilarious. Uh, the game of machination and betrayal. Of shadowy influence and, you know... Uh, Conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, good fun. Uh you know, also raised many an eyebrow in the conspiratorial category. Like, here it was Freemasons. What are you saying here? You know, and he's like, I'm saying play around and have some fun, dude. I'm too loud. <sighs> yeah, there's a heavy dose of social commentary and sarcasm <laughs> in there. And not everybody enjoys the same things for the same reason. Uh, yeah, having your sacred cows poked fun at uh, is like stressful for most folks. So, uh, Mr. Jackson certainly puts in a lot of little, you know, like little. There it was the Moody's. Yeah, he's, he's flying. There's some elbows flying in there. Yeah, oh yeah, they don't even care. You know, he, he wades in like it's hockey. <laughs> Just does not care who he hawks off. Uh, but this was a very fun game. Uh, don't underestimate it. In fact, yeah, I you can definitely it. have a lot of laughs with it. But, uh, you know, there was also a slightly sinister side, like, <laughs> I hope none of this ever come, anybody ever believes this kind of conspiratorial nonsense garbage. <laughs> oh. Stuart! Oh, well, not just like Stuart. The, the, the people, the Q people actually uh, took, like, the Illuminati and made it a playbook. You're not like the other people here in the trailer park. No, 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 don't get me wrong. They're good, fine people, good Americans, but they don't know. <laughs> Not part of the end of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, that some people actually took this as like a playbook is, is amazing to me, but you know, hey, it is what it is, man. And of course, Sorry about that, folks, but yeah, uh, a little uh, uh, podcatus, podcatus, interruptus, <laughs> podcastus, interruptus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, this won't roll off the tip of the tongue. Um, but yeah, we were talking about the GURPS, and yeah, the, the Illuminati game uh, when it came out after GURPS uh, really helped set uh, Steve Jackson in that weird space that they still inhabit today and uh, yeah while we talk about the Q factor in there I'm not kidding there's some people say that that was a that he's in on it and he's had to defend himself by 
No. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm, I'm historically literate, and I love all of this oddball occult stuff, and I jumbled it all together to make a fun, ridiculous game that, like, both lightheartedly pokes fun at and lovingly represents all lightheartedly pokes fun at the Kennedy assassinations and the faked moon landing yeah. oh yeah and well, it, it was a little closer to the bone back in the day yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it, some time has passed now but uh, you know it did ruffle some feathers it did ruffle you know, how dare you even mention that like, uh, you know mentioning it is not the worst thing a person could do <laughs> uh. well trying to slap back at the people who took it a little too seriously was his whole but yeah uh right after that this proved that right at the collectible card game craze uh, was actually a little bit before it they began to publish the illuminati collectible card game and it was a big thing and, oh it was quite popular but easy uh transport, you know easy to play then it began to the new world order as it was called uh you know there was the box of illuminati and they came out with the new world order and a couple others uh, they got in the collectible card game market, and it did take off for a while, but quickly died out. And I think during that time that Steve Jackson began to look for other, or further fields, and he came out with uh, card games like Shazy, uh, which was uh, Jim Kavalik's. Uh, yes, of Nodwick fame. Yeah, of Nodwick fame, yeah. He did a lot of illustrations for that, and then they got together and did Munchkin. Yeah, and this is another of the, this is probably the most recent 800-pound gorilla in the room, uh, because it's another one that exploded into infinite variety, uh, just countless side versions available, uh, and I would, I would respond favorably to the criticism that perhaps they have gone a little overboard with it, uh, <laughs> you know, that... <laughs> Uh, they, they did manage to Munch. vlog that dead horse, uh, it, but it's not actually dead. It's still a moneymaker. It's still a fun, easy card game to learn. Uh, and in spite of the like egregiously large number of uh, things, it, it is still a quality entertainment product. So I, I don't have any munchkin hate, I, but I do feel that the game captured uh, the like even in the title it, it gives you that warning that you know, it is the game of the rules weasel well yeah i mean it doesn't tell you a whole lot of warning i mean munchkins is basically the first one to reach level 10 or level 20 whatever you want wins the game it is kind of also a, a slap at the oh well, well yes obviously but, um it's also a slap at the uh, 3.0 culture of I'm just going to build the biggest, fastest, meanest, fastest leveling character that ever existed. And I'm just going to be the best at the table. And that's all that matters. You're missing the whole point, kid. Yeah, yeah. That's the munchkin that everybody's slapping down on. And go. everybody knows one. No one will ever own up to being one. But everybody knows one. My actions were totally justified. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, so one of the things I loved about... Uh, you know the the nerfing that took place uh, in 3.0 where like okay welcome to being level one three times longer than everybody else in the party mm. uh, you know and the tools are there to uh, reduce munchkinitis but you know jackson games once again they took a facet of something that we all know as gamers transformed it into a viable comedic 
game product. That's actually pretty... Uh, and had robust success. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to play the same game twice. Uh, and it's not like the other games they've made, okay? I mean, it, that's that's the one note I constantly riff on when it comes yeah, to Steve Jackson. Yeah, Geek it was a lot of fun about getting slack, avoiding chores, and uh, possibly even getting late. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everything is very tongue-in-cheek. And you, with Steve Jackson games, you didn't get the same concept over and over and over again. Which, you know, you might think with GURPS that it would be like that. It turned out not so much. You know, just this huge body of work over the, the decades. And what amazing variety, <laughs> you know. And then to top it all off, Car Wars anniversary edition well the ogre yeah the, the million dollar kickstarter for ogre yeah and that, the demand was stunning like the the internet leaped as one and said take my money yeah which almost ended up bankrupting them and that's a story in and of itself that yeah should be told all on its own but yeah they've been able to after that sanit you know having pioneered a path of between ruination and success Steve Jackson Games is now more comfortable doing these Kickstarters and setting realistic expectations where, you know, this was the first time somebody had handed them literally a million dollars and said, make a game. And, you know, the expectation is very high when somebody gives you that much money. You want to use it properly and you want to give a product that people feel like they got their money's worth out of it. And so the project just kept growing and growing in parts and complexity until it was a 14-pound box set, which... He gods, what a monster! Yeah, I, it was. Uh, it's it spawned a level of commitment that was completely justified by the size of the Kickstarter, but they did kind of get too big for their britches. You know, like they aimed with all the best intentions, uh, they aimed a little higher than perhaps they should have, uh, which really pushes back your target dates and ups your costs and all of that. Uh, so it proved to be very challenging. However, they are Steve Jackson games, and they did do it. They yeah, but they've also taken on some of the cheap-ass uh, games hits, like uh, Lord of the Fries. Um, looking here uh, on the other ones. Uh, oh, Lord of the Fries. Yep. Battle Cattle, which was a, a kind of a slap at uh, <laughs> Battletech, where you make your cow and arm them up with whatever. More cow. Yep. Or I... Uh, Ninja Burger. I've always meant to like approach them with with my concept for, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, the game of Australian mounted combat, War Dingo. And also, I haven't like uh, what is it, the Space Pirate Amazon Ninja Cat Girls Spank, where uh, you know they like Starship crews of cat girls fighting in search of toys and loot. Um, also, they hold. Uh, the awful green things from outer space. Oh, classic. Uh, was that? Oh, Which was based off the dang movie, but, you know, that's a whole different one. Uh, Nightmare Chess is also a big thing that they put out there, which, you know, if you're bored of chess, here, play this one. It's like chess on ad. Well, yeah, way to variant uh, the classic regular and make people really, you know, stretch their brain power. I almost got in a fist fight with a guy trying to play that. Zombie Dice is another one that they've come out with, which is a lot of fun. 
So, yeah, you know, Steve Jackson Games has left a great big legacy, and I think they too often get ignored for, especially in the uh, Grognard circles, where, you know, it's D&D or nothing. And... Yeah, which is a regrettable trend, because, I mean, but we're biased, and we know it, okay? We're, we like it, but... We're the guys who, like, literally showed up and were like, <laughs> uh, you know, rebel without a game. You know, it's like... So what is it you're rebelling against? I don't know. What do you got? Huh. What are you gaming? I don't yeah. know. What do you got? Yeah, we were prepared to play anything that hit the table. And, you know, <laughs> we showed up to party and ain't nothing going to stop it. Uh, I have always felt bad for the people that missed out on a lot of amazing opportunities for laughter uh, and fun. Yeah. I mean... There's a lot of uh, different games out there that you can find sitting on the shelves. I just... still feel bad that it took us this long to get to a discussion of Steve Jackson games. Well, That's... I think that, you know, when we originally started this podcast, and here's where we're going to set it aside, I think that we've uh, docked ourselves nearly to death on Steve Jackson games, but there's not nearly enough words that can be said about the influence and impact of Steve Jackson games, both pro and sometimes con. Yeah. You know, the church, you know, the, uh, what is it, the Illuminati uh, Church of the Subgenius was uh, kind of very controversial when we talked about some of the things we did before. But getting back more on the point, when we first started this podcast, we wanted to talk about games that we had experienced. And to be honest, a lot of the games we experienced were D&D, Dungeons and Dragons oriented, and that's just where we were. That's, that's our DNA, that's our code. But our code is also a higher one of an ever-evolving one where we incorporated new games and ideas and concepts. So we've been doing a better job at covering them, and I think that we're getting more out of our comfort zone on some of these things, but, uh, especially some of the topics of our podcast, not just some of these things. But yeah, uh, I think that pretty much sums up our little synopsis on yeah, Steve Jackson games. Did we leave anything out? Well, I'm almost certain that we did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. Look, uh, the length and breadth of it is such that, you know, there's uh, plenty more meat on the bone. But I think we've done a pretty fair job of, like, skimming the surface and examining the most relevant portions of the Steve Jackson empire uh, and its impact across decades. Because, ah, man, I, so much quality gaming one topic so hard to fit it all in and yeah, i hope but i hope people enjoyed yeah i hope you enjoyed it and of course if we missed anything that you think that we need to include in that let us know oh uh, yeah give a shout out drop a name yeah you can do it in the comment section of our facebook page our facebook groups getting pretty nice out there pretty lively yeah and uh you can also get a hold of us here on our anchor app just download that dang old anchor app and uh give us a message and we'll put you on the air such as the air is. We'll put you on the internet and we'll make famous. We'll make no. you famous. You won't be famous. Uh, nah, nah. Just internet famous. Uh, well, not even that. Doesn't mean what it used to. Yeah. But all right. Well, with that, we're going to bid you adieu. Uh, you folks stay safe out there. And uh, as the holidays come up, we hope you enjoy a good Thanksgiving to all our listeners out there. And if you're not uh, part of the Thanksgiving crowd, you're somewhere else. Hey, uh, enjoy the upcoming holidays and festivities. Yes. So just the season. We'll uh, weigh anchor and weigh out. So until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.